The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Okay. Welcome to another edition of Who Is I Am John Podge, your host from the two-man power trip of wrestling, and of course joined by the doctor himself, Mr. J. Michael P.S. Jargo. Michael, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic, Pods. It's great to be back. I, I know we're a day delayed because of uh, some issues that, that we had going on yesterday with different recordings and whatnot, but happy to be here for an all-new edition of Who Is at the two-man power trip. Yes, and the third man in the booth, Mr. Feud for thought not food for thought but feud for thought because the episode is all about who is the best feud ever he is mr rbv mr hmg rick how you doing hey gentlemen looking forward to this we're going to talk about some of those guys who just can't see eye to eye ready to throw down uh, it's what makes professional wrestling so so incredible uh, but again you know we'll jump right into this thing parameters 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 because yeah, I, I had a you, bunch you, of questions you for some. you yeah Bob. you had I, some, I was coming I didn't even at, know what the hell you're talking about yeah I, I thought by the end of just the just the pre-show conversation you and I might be feuding that, that's how <laughs> intense this thing was getting here but you know at first I said are we talking feuds are we talking rivalries and what I thought it, there was there's a the same fine thing? line now, I think right, okay. you know to me it kind of goes into that area I always get to that argument with people that say deserve that irritate the hell out of me because you, you earn things and there's a and they say well they're the same no, there's a difference. And I think it is a fine line. And I think really what it is, is first and foremost, rivalries can be friendly. Feuds are made very personal. I also think that feuds have kind of starting and stopping fragments, but can run for a while. Rivalries have a more of a longer shelf life, but can come to an end. And I think feuds just continue, continue, continue. Then I'm like, so you said, hey, man, blur them together. Mix it how you like to do it there. So then I threw the other one at you. Are we talking strictly in, in a kayfabe sense or are we talking in a reality sense? And I asked you, hey, can I blur those lines? And you said, just do whatever the hell you want. I'm tired of talking to you right now. I'll see you when we go to the record. Blur, baby, blur. You know, to paraphrase the great John Sterling when Bernie Williams used to hit that home run. But uh, Mr. J, you were kind of shaking your head thinking the same. What, what, what's your parameters here? What do you got? Well, I, I, I do agree there is a difference between a feud and, and a rivalry. Like, uh, you, you, let's take, for example, one okay. that's very, very close to the real RBV inside of the world of sports, Michigan football versus Ohio State football. 
What they, happened, by the way, in that game? I, I must have missed that. No. He's got, they just got dominated. Michigan's, Michigan's time. time. Good, man. It's I Michigan's mean, time. And they got, they got them. They owned in the trenches. They just dominated. They, they also beat somebody else's favorite team. Hmm. Who else could that be? Huh. They also beat them 42 to 3, I think. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Paz. If you missed a memo, um, the Iowa Hawkeyes are not my favorite college team. I just happen to live like 45 minutes north of Kennedy oh, State. Right. That's, that's all. All right. All right I, I think he just happens to have their flag hanging outside of his house, right, get, but not his Yeah. Favorite. Get back well, to your example. But okay. So back to the example Ohio State versus Michigan, that is not a rivalry, that is a feud. Because in order for it to be a rivalry, both parties have to win on occasion. And until this year, Michigan hadn't beaten Ohio State in like 11 years, right? So to me, that's not a rivalry. That's just we don't like each other, so there's a feud. Uh, It has to be a little bit of give and take when you're coming inside of a rivalry. A feud can just be absolute domination by one party over the other. And I'll throw out my first one here, which I think is a perfect example, very much along the Ohio State versus Michigan lines, Raven and Tommy Dreamer, right? I mean, like, Tommy Dreamer, he wasn't getting over on Raven. It was just Raven beating him down literally for freaking years until finally Tommy wins the big one, which might have been the biggest mistake of Tommy Dreamer's career. But to me, that was just a feud that was not a rivalry. They're, they're, to me, they're two very, very different things. Are you putting Dreamer versus Raven on this feud? Uh, Absolutely. How do you not put Raven versus Dreamer on this list? I might have to kill this feud for you guys, and you guys are probably going to be upset. So this whole feud between Dreamer and Raven, while the, the matches and stuff are good, but the the whole feud is predicated on what? That Tommy can't get over. Jewish camp. Think about that. Used to live in a in a uh, you know very a nice area. We had a kid that lived next door. Used to go to Jewish camp, which is some run by a you know your everyone there is Jewish and they the Jewish bus picks you up and blah blah. So Haman in his head is Raven. Raven, you know the character. He's creating this thing. So they are refuting over a girl at Jewish camp when they were kids, Dreamer and Raven, and it was Beulah. To me, I was like, the setup to this feud is absolutely terrible. It's one of the worst, but I was like, and I understand the girl thing, but I was like, that is so like, I don't know, cheesy, but in, in essence, I could see it working in the soap opera world, but I like what Raven did to it, made it a little bit deeper, but the setup to it is terrible. Well, I mean, it's pro wrestling, pause. I mean, you know, right. but I, I think what they were trying to establish is these two guys haven't liked each other for a very, very long time. Right, like, right. This, I just didn't like the way they ECW went about it. Yeah. Context, but I mean, you know, it's it's pro wrestling, regardless of how you get there, right? I mean, you know, like Orange Cassidy and Adam Cole are about to feud because Orange Cassidy looked at him. I, I'd right. rather, you know, they had a, a, a rivalry, if you will, going back, right. you know, like 20 years to freaking Jewish camp. <laughs> no, I think I think that's what works with it. And then, yeah, I mean, it sounds a little ridiculous as we're talking about all these years later. But as Jargo saying, you're let you're planting these seeds that this thing goes much deeper. They just happen to end up here. This is just another story in these guys' lives that they are going to cross paths. But now it's going to go to the extreme. Now they're you know all rules are out the out the window. You know, hands uncuffed. They can do anything to get away with this. But then you look at where it evolved because even back then, you know. Raven's getting the best of him. Tommy can't get over. I wish he never won. 
Uh, it was, you know, as Jarko said, one of the biggest mistakes, you know, that, that was made inside of that. He, and you, and as you mentioned that, and, and that's one of the other parameters where that, when I was looking at this thing, how did it move me in a kayfabe sense? And as I regularly say, pro wrestling is at its best when it mirrors reality. So where does, where do those lines blur? How real was it in a certain cases? How did the certain talents interact away from the spotlight? of the squared circle that added that extra drama, that extra spice that made it nice. So here you really got to believe though, you got to believe that happened to Heyman. There was probably someone to that day that he hated going back to camp as a kid that stole his little yes. chubby ass's girlfriend. Yes. And, and he used that to plant the seeds. Cause I mean, that story has Heyman written all over it. He loves Absolutely. his love triangles and stuff like that. And I just want to see Heyman getting on the Jewish bus to go to camp because for right, some reason right. that, that that visual just pops the hell out. Uh, and I guess uh, if anybody out there, shout out to our good friend MSG and his a tremendous hit show over 100 episodes now, the uh, Suck My Balls South Park Review podcast. Yes. Uh, the camp is called Jubilee, gentlemen. There you go. Yeah, there you go. So I can't believe we started off with Raven and Dreamer, which, which is fine, but uh, that's the direction. I was thinking... You know, a little bit more grandiose, a little bit more WWF, a little bit more Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Vince McMahon. Well, see, pause. Now you're going to the big hitters. I was just looking for yeah. something with my analogy oh. between oh, Michigan okay. and Ohio okay. State. Yeah, get them on. Get them really, on. Get over. Yeah. Pause is swinging for the fence already. Yeah, geez, man. We're doing like a, a five-minute podcast yeah. today, huh, Pause? Really, though, uh, Dreamer is uh, Michigan, big time. Oh, yeah. Completely completely and i it, it just works inside of the comparison um austin mcmahon i mean when when this show is over this is going to be like one of the t- probably top two or three that we're talking about right I mean, right it did arguably the most business it saved the freaking company you know most of it was inside of a kayfabe sense or at least that's how it started and then we would see you know a little bit of real life kind of blend into the storyline over the course of the years with austin being like no you know screw this i'm going home and and so then you get you know the top star versus the actual owner of the company it was like you know it it started off as a work and it kind of worked its way into a shoot um it's hard to disagree that austin mcmahon is at least top five all time instead of the world of professional wrestling. I don't have it at number one, but it's very, very high on my list. I like the feud in a sense that, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was the hottest thing going, you know, arguably ever in professional wrestling. It, you know, what it what it ignites across the board for all promotions for the entire industry. But again, this was one of those things where I want to be able to, why did it work? Because we are blur- blurring those lines. And it, and it truly was telling the story of the time, you know, in the sense of it's not necessarily Steve Austin, Vince McMahon behind the scenes, butting heads, but what it represents is that, that just right now, asshole boss that wants, you know, is holding, holding you down. Once all that credit is stealing that spotlight and stone cold. Yes. is perfectly representing that the audience, what they, what they were, what they look like. It was just, you know, that turn it to 10, turn it to 12, rip the dial off throw it away that's what that personality was for your demographic your blue collar sob that was tuning in each and every week just to see a little bit of they were living vicariously through stone cold to see him whoop some ass i also think what was so magnificent is is in mcmahon you don't have an actual legit competitor it's not like austin in the rock 
where those guys can go toe-to-toe. You're going to get a payoff between those two. So you had to feed in so many other talents to get involved to keep that, you know, a couple degrees of separation between Austin and McMahon until you finally do have those payoffs where McMahon gets his comeuppance. I think the other thing that made that feud work so well is pause were you a fan of Dexter back in the day, yeah. like the old school. Still am. I haven't watched any of the new ones, so no spoiler oh, it's, alerts. It's I've heard it's very good. good, by the way. The original writer's back, so that's why it's very good this season. I've heard it's good. Um, I feel like Austin came along kind of like the Trinity Killer, if you if you go back to like the original Dexter, because this was almost a continuation of a feud that was a continuation of a feud like because to me like the wcw versus wwf feud it probably the biggest thing in professional wrestling which is a direct like cause of the montreal screw job which invents the mcmahon character and so then it's mcmahon feuding with literally everybody and then come about like you know season three season four mcmahon's biggest rival to feud with stone cold steve austin just happens to show up he's like the freaking trinity killer I love that feud. So good. I think you got one of the best baby faces, although he didn't really act like a baby face, but he was one of the best baby faces of all time. And Vince, one of the greatest heels of all time, not obviously a great wrestler, but a great character. And he was so good. And, you know, he'd bring in boss man. He'd bring in the rock. I mean, he had, you know, uh, he'd have uh, a dude love for a little bit. He'd ha- get the cane undertaker to help him. So there was always different guys to help push the story along, but the end game, everybody wanted to see Austin, kick Vince's ass and obviously you get that in the cage match Austin kicks his ass the Royal Rumble but you know Vince is winning the Rumble I mean there's so many great parts in, in the story I just love that feud it is so great um, I think they maybe kept it going a little too long because remember King of the Ring 99 he had that match one on two and Austin wrestled them and I was like eh, I don't know, it started to run out of steam a bit then um, and then him being the higher power started running out of steam but Everything before that is it's just like awesome storytelling. The guy's going to get one up on his boss. Everybody wants to beat up their boss. I don't care who you are. I mean, that is just perfect storytelling. Yeah, I think it would add it more to the McMahon character is really what, how, what we've got to know from him even up to that point. You could even see it before he's being acknowledged as the owner. He still is that individual He's an egomaniac. And I think he, a lot of people will tell you that. And to be successful in, in this world, you, you have to have that big chip on your shoulder. You have got to be somewhat of an egomaniac. Uh, you need to be humbled inside of yourself as well with that. Uh, but you need that drive. And he's always had that. He was, you know, he was always on, on the screen. You go when he's trying to push the entertainment aspect over the pro wrestling aspect as they're doing their stage shows, you know, the, the dancing or uh, he's taking the wrestlers to the water park. He's he's heavily involved in those. He's really, even before we acknowledge him there, he's at the center. Then at the trial, we really start to get to see the personality uh, of Vince McMahon. And then it really it really hits home to the to the bubble, to the fan base, when everything that happened with Brett. And as Jargo says, it's really, it's all of these gears are in motion. And then finally, the perfect adversary that truly represents. Because if we go look at anyone else that he might have had issues with, they didn't represent that demo, the hardworking blue collar. I love my pro wrestling son of bitch fan. And then Stone Cold Steve Austin embodies all of that. How much does the Austin heel turn when he aligns with McMahon bring this feud down? inside of, of of your own mind i i'm the same way rick it, it just absolutely like it's great to go back and watch the beginning of it and everything like through the higher power and whatnot 
but it works better like one feud that's clearly not going to be on the list today right Shawn Michaels Marty Jannetty right even though it might be one of the greatest moments in the history of all professional wrestling with the barbershop window we still all remember it today as one of those fond memories of our childhood but when you have a team that splits up and then it turns into a feud, it works so much better than when you have two guys that are feuding that then become a team. It kind of negates everything that happened inside of the feud. Yeah, I didn't like that. It's going for the shock value of mm-hmm. Austin and Vince hugging. Killed it. And you saw, I mean, Rock, Austin, that WrestleMania, 1.1 million, whatever. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, the buy rate was huge and the buys were huge. And all of a sudden that happens. And it's like, yeah, Austin's a heel. And it's like, you see the waning interest. Nobody wanted to boo him. Well, it's, you know, you use that term babyface. Sir. I never saw Austin as he was that anti-hero. Now he's completely sold out, you know, no matter how you wanted to find him there. But yeah, now he's with the, you know, with Mr. McMahon, the, you know, the most vile person inside of professional wrestling this is absolutely disgusting you know for me at that point a lot of that momentum that he can never get back died for me and and i know a lot of people talk about how they appreciate the work he did with uh there's no pun there the two-man power trip you know the things that he did with with angle you know when him when they're trying to uh battle you know i guess you know they're having their own little feud over the uh the admiration of mcmahon and then even the, I need Austin back. I, I need you to come back and save the company. You know, it's, to me, it was after that moment when he aligned with McMahon, everything else, as water. good as he might have executed it, it, it just, it hurt the legacy of Stone Cold Steve Austin. You can have a great actor who does a bad movie. It's still a bad movie, regardless of how good the performance is. If you've got a crap script, you can only save it so much. And to me, that was an absolute crap script. No holds barred. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when you think about it, though, so Austin McMahon is the wrestler versus the company, right? Well, in, we're not going to let you slide in there. That Hulk Hogan what? was an incredible actor that just couldn't what? save a terrible script. <laughs> but let's well, I thought we were just that. agreeing that it was a terrible <laughs> script. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. All around uh, terrible I was saying the the Hogan part that Rick was saying, but yeah, okay, all right. Um, but okay, so it's the wrestler versus the management, or the wrestler versus the owner. Another few that I put up there very high, which Bischoff says kind of spawns the idea of Vince and Austin a little bit, I think, and I definitely hate put some credence to that. WCW versus the NWO. It was the wrestlers versus the management, very similar in essence, in 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 in, in fashion or in storytelling point. It's like the same story in essence not really close but what do you think wcw versus the nwo or do you break that off into something else well i mean i i feel like the real feud there was the wwf versus wcw and i mean as much as they want to present it as oh it was the wrestlers versus management no it was the wrestlers representing the other company to come in and feud with wcw and we're so, taking over so so you get that the blurring of the lines because you know what's happening inside of the kayfabe world by this point we all have the dirt sheets and whatnot so we know what's happening in the real world as well so th- there was a lot of lines that were blurred there and to me that's what made the nwo angle when it launched so damn effective but it was paying attention to the real feud that was actually going on behind the scenes between the two companies. Well, I think what's so brilliant about the, 
you know, the, is, is this another company coming in? What, what do these guys represent? Yeah. Again, we're talking blurred lines there and it's, you control that narrative. Mm-hmm. What's the hottest thing going in the world is these two top companies going toe to toe each week who can get the best of each other. Who's going to get the bigger stars, you know, who's going to be able to rally the more fans around them. So they said, Hey, you know, we're just going to recreate that on our own stage. Here. We don't care what they're doing actually down the channel, but we're going to give the people the illusion that that might have some kind of tie in with them. And even when that goes out the window, I mean, you still have it set up, you know, where you're getting a little bit of the NWO moving on there. I wish that would have, and I knew that Bischoff's talked about this plenty of times, and I'm sure that you and Mr. Sullivan have talked about it, Paz, where there were, there were plans. They had talked about some sort of brand split there to really set up where, yeah, this, this is another company. I really wish they would have followed through with that. And here's a conversation that I've, I've, no, I've never really heard this before, and I'm going to give credit to Bischoff, Sullivan, WCW for this. What they did there, I think really set the tone. Everyone blames the inv- the invasion angle real, truly on failing on bringing, bringing in the stars. But it's because WCW set the table with what one should look like already for the Western viewer. Yeah. And they did, you know, with the NWO, in comparison to what we actually got from the invasion, they blew that out of the water. Now, it's because they were able to go get some of those stars, but they made you believe a lot more that there was some kind of divide. And it certainly, even though the NWO would you know, would dominate a lot of that. They had the upper hand. There was enough times in there where it goes from Jargo's parameters where it's just not the rivalry. It is a feud because you you got one up in each other at certain points here. And what killed the NWO becoming their own company? Cedar Rapids, Iowa. You bet. Sold out. Awful. Absolutely awful. Not a great showing. Is it? Is that, I mean... This is, you know, who is the best, right? Is that the worst pay-per-view in, you know, pro wrestling history? Because it's really bad. Even if, like, to go back and watch it in a modern context, it doesn't age well, and it was awful when it happened. I don't know. Uh, well, that could be a whole other show. Who is the, what is the worst? What is the worst pay-per-view, pay-per-view? of all time? We, We've done some worst here before. because I'm, I might have to throw them out there, that one where uh, Jake, the, Jake the Snake was all drunk or whatever. And oh, was Heroes that lady, of Wrestling? Yeah, rub oil on him as he was saying. Yeah, Jake the Snake doing his best Jeff Hardy impression. Yes. yes. ECW December to uh, Dismember. There's a couple of WrestleManias that were real bad. What, what right, was that right. one? We'll, we'll, we'll save that yeah, one. That's anyway. on the show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, let's go. Hmm, where, where do I want to go? We'll stick NWO. Hollywood Hogan versus Sting. I mean, we talk about Austin and McMahon and being lightning in a bottle. Sting versus Hogan ran for the entire year and Sting didn't say a freaking word. I mean, it, it, that entire program was done so masterfully and it was so good. And then when it finally came time for the blow off, they screwed it all up. I mean, like if, if we would have gotten the payoff that we all wanted coming out of that feud at Starcade how much better would we look back on that feud inside of the course of professional wrestling history? I think the, this, I agree. this this feud inside of itself is like a subcategory of what we just talked about, the NWO, WCW. You talked about the two figureheads of what you would think really represent both of those companies. And I know there could be a little debate on the WCW side, you know, if it's Flair, if it's Sting. I think Sting just as more of that pure baby because because flair was the villain most of the times you know 
So you got your true hero in Sting taking on Hulk Hogan, who built the other company, who had run you into the ground for so long. Now we're learning that he's only it's seemingly here that he ever took that contract so that he could have his way, that he's getting this massive payday, kind of come and go as he please. Completely the opposite of everything that Southern wrestling, that the NWA, those roots were based on. So I think those two just kind of capped that off. I think what's more telling, we, we just talk about, you know, did the NWO run too long? What mistakes were made? I, I think it's a testament. Damn, WCW, they knew how to get things. They knew how to fire out of the gate. They knew how to build it off, but they had a hell of a time paying stuff off. Yeah. And it's very much the same thing. Even later, when Sting joins the NWO, it's just like, again, you're negating what happened previously by showing showing the allegiances here and it's just absolutely awful booking so i think so even going back to the mcmahon awesome things we talked about now you've got austin joining you've got sting joining even sting hogan incredible build incredible setup but we remember the letdown Mm -hmm. you think in certain cases in all three of those it really hurts their overall standing in in a feud it does for me anyway the awesome. ending is just, I don't know, the ending is so damn bad, but the year buildup is unbelievable. Like, you're dying to see it, dying to see it, and then you're like... It's, you know, it's uh, like sitcoms. Like, sitcoms are, are great television series. Yeah, look at Seinfeld, it, the way it ended. Whew. See, I didn't, I didn't hate that one as much, but it's still that same thing. You remember, how, what, what have you done for me lately? How did you go out? Yep. So you could have all a decade plus of incredible television, incredible moments, and it still comes down to people like, eh, but how did you go out Uh, a a better example for me is uh how i met your mother how i met your mother runs for like you know nine years and the whole thing is like you're you're finally seeing robin and barney they get together they end up getting married and then on the final episode 10 minutes into the episode they're getting divorced and it's like why in the hell did i just waste nine years of my freaking life investing into this story for you to destroy it 10 minutes into the freaking finale. There you go. Awful. Awful. Don't like that. Lost is another one. I don't want to get too much into the horrible ending. Sopranos, Dexter. Oh, God, yeah. Yep. Yep. So, speaking of uh, Sting, Sting and Flair, did you have, I know Ricky kind of briefly mentioned, but are, are they on the list? Because that's on my list. Very, very high on my list. I, I have it up there. I just, to me, it's one of those things. Where does it rank amongst flair feuds? And I have it down a little bit on that list, so I, I couldn't what? put it near near my tops. What? I just think you know there was a lot of. I think their company was down at the time, all around the board. So I don't think there was many eyes on. It. I don't know if there was as much pressure for them to really to really hammer this thing home here. I just think when I'm thinking flair, I go back and think of, you know, obviously of Dusty. You know, right. we think of the Steamboat, which I would say might have been more of a rivalry in Jersey. But those are those kind of comparisons and parallels that I make before I get to Sting. Don't you I think, think, though, feuds like this and feuds in general, like this is what makes us more interested as a fan. It's like, oh, I want to see Sting Flair go at it. But over a course of time, like to me, I love that. Like when they feud for years and then like all of a sudden they're back together, stuff like that really gets me excited as a fan because it's like, Oh my God, they, I saw this tension and they run into each other again and they start the feud. I love that stuff as a fan. 
I, I feel like the thing that hurts that feud for me once again is kind of the follow-up. Like if at the beginning of the, the sting flair feud, when sting is the upstart flair is the dominant champion, you get the big baby face chase. It all culminates sting finally wins the championship. And then the title reign goes over like a fart in church and they end up going back to flair. I, it felt like even though sting had won the feud, flair was still the man and inside of the booking i feel like the booking of the company coming out of that without having all the heel challengers without being that real passing of the torch moment that everybody thought it was going to be going back to flair so soon really damaged that rivalry coming out yeah they didn't have anything lined up for sting like the feud after it was a misstep on their part we're, we're seeing it in AEW right now. You know, you build yep. up Hangman Page. He finally wins that big match. You got to have a list of heel challengers waiting for that baby face when he finally climbs the mountain. Otherwise, he becomes a very uninteresting baby face because he's already accomplished his goal. That's why I'm advocating for Brian Danielson to take the title from Hangman next week. Needs to. Yeah. His run is awful. He's got to. It's it's the underdog babyface champion, right? Like the money's in the chase; it's not in the ring. So, Rick mentioned a few of uh, what I would consider feuds for Flair, which were great. Ricky Steamboat. It's got to be. I mean, those are some of the greatest matches of all time. I still have them. Four matches I could think of off the top of my head that I would put on top of any list as far as like some of the greatest matches ever. Uh, the trilogy of matches in what was it? 89? Yep. The, I, I still think that's the best trilogy in the history of professional and wrestling. If you can find it on YouTube, there's a, a Landover Maryland uh, match in the midst of that. Somebody has a handheld. Awesome. Melter gave it six stars. That was one of the first matches to give six stars. But that's another awesome match. And I found it on YouTube. I was like, holy shit, this is freaking great. So they're not dogging it on house shows. <laughs> you know, they're going crazy on house shows too. Those two guys never dogged it, regardless of what it was, yeah. and that's yeah. part of what made it so damn good over the course of that that period of time. But both of those guys at that point in '89, when they're having that that series of matches, they're both in their prime, and they're both out there to prove that they are the absolute best. And there was no question by the end of that feud. Yeah, you know what sets it apart with Steamboat and Flair, it makes it so u- unique about so many of these these feuds that we're going to be talking about, is it relied so heavily on the in-ring storytelling. You know, it was those guys going out there for the 60 minutes, every little town, even the, you know, the spot shows like that where a lot of people would just phone it in for. These guys are going out there and giving you, you know, event of the year marquee caliber matchups each and every time out, but they relied on, it wasn't about totally just about move sets, but it was that storytelling inside the ring and, and what steamboat represented, what player represented complete opposites that would draw those audiences in who went over in that match pause, or was it a Broadway? Uh, steamboat. He was the champ at the point he won. Um, very good match there. But it's interesting. If you remember the end of the feud, when flair finally beats him, gets the title back at wrestle war, do you remember what happens directly after that? It ignites another feud with Terry Funk, who is the announcer, who then said the Flair was disrespecting him, beats him up, pal drives him, tries to go through the table, but literally probably hurt Flair's neck by not going through the table completely. Um, but Funk Damn Flair Japanese then, tables! That's what it seemed like. But damn, Funk and Flair start another awesome feud, which is one of my favorite feuds, because you get immediately heel dick Flair, then you get a babyface Flair, and Funk is the big asshole, and they're having 
of brawls. I mean, it's a completely different thing than this great technical match. You have great promos going back and forth, and then you have just wild brawls. I think that's one of the things that makes Flair so damn good was it didn't matter who he was in there with. You wanted to have a technical masterpiece. He could do that. You wanted to have a fight. He could do that. Uh, He was just so well-rounded and I I completely agree. Pause Uh, coming out of steamboat going into funk, just the diversity that you see inside of Ric Flair. I, I think it is absolutely immeasurable how freaking good Flair was at that point in time specifically. Well, you got me thinking about Funk and just going across the board, thinking about all those great territory feuds that he had. Uh, you know, if it's anything with, with Dusty or anywhere he's really moving around, uh, he, you know, he's coming in there is that guy that people just love to hate on. He was just so damn dangerous, right? And when, when you've got the chicken shit heel and Flair, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, oh crap, I'm going to get my ass beat now. Like, that, that's what's going on here. I'm not coming out here to have a wrestling contest. I'm about to get my ass beat. It was just a great, great kind of position for Flair to find himself in, especially coming out of Steamboat. So you mentioned Dusty for us, for us, Flair, Dusty. Flair's on here a lot. You got this Sting. You got um, a Dusty, who we just said. Um steamboat funk i mean you got a bunch of good flair feuds but let's talk about the other goat let's talk about hogan what about hogan savage hogan versus the macho man and again this is kind of what we were talking about uh, towards the beginning of the show right when you have a tag team the tag team ends up splitting up and then they feud against one another when the mega powers finally freaking exploded it's one of the biggest things in the history of professional wrestling, right? Because Huge box the, office. And it, the story was so damn well told, right? Before you even get to the right, you could see it. You could see the tension building. You could feel it week in, week out, until it finally gets to the point where the mega powers explode. The way that they held back at the beginning of that program made the feud so much better as it would progress in. I think what's so impactful about this one, you know, it's just not a team where you guys, you know, that they have built this alliance. You feel that they're a brotherhood, all the success that they have in front of them, and then it just comes crumbling down. WWE, by far at this point, is the juggernaut. They're the biggest company in the world. So, I, And I think it's no disrespect to anybody, especially as we're just talking about, you know, Flair and Steamboat and all that, but you, you pretty much have the two biggest wrestling stars in the world right now in the Macho Man and Hulk Hogan. They are together in this alliance, and boom, Mega Powers explode. I mean, it ignites a sense of excitement to that point that I don't know the wrestling world had ever seen. I, I remember it as a child watching that thing, and all, like, how, oh my God, you know, these, these two incredible forces, you know, arguably, you know, everyone's heroes. You always had that one you liked a little more whenever now they're going to be going at it here as foes. I think it stands the test of time now going back and I can blur those lines and look at it because it was a little bit, you know, you had that chase, that those feuds, rivalry, if you will, backstage as well, trying to position themselves for that tap guy, the political games that are going on. We've heard all sorts of crazy nonsense. If there was any kind of involvement or trust issues and everything there, the paranoia with Elizabeth, in the middle of this t- entire thing. I think that's where it really stands the test of time that I can actually sit, go back and watch all of those moments go episode by episode, turn by turn, swerve by swerve, and, and enjoy it just as much as I did as a kid for completely different reasons. And, and all they started the, up again in WCW. 
and all the little Easter eggs that they just lay throughout that entire program. So, so well done. As far as you, you bring up the WCW stuff, pause when it comes to, and maybe this is part of the difference between a rivalry and a feud, right? Like I felt like the feud ended and the rivalry continued like, and then the rivalry led to another feud. I don't view the two of those as necessarily related. So you wouldn't say Hogan Piper are related either. Cause Hogan and Piper is another feud. I was well, I think, no, I think with feuds too, you could have those stop gaps. Mm-hmm. So you can hit those long running, but that, that rivalry never. I mean, and there is that contention there. So even with Macho, Macho was one of those guys that always did business. So he goes to WCW, takes that money, which, and that's when that's when as fans we're maturing into where we understand some of this BS that's going on here. And now at this point, I'm just like F Hogan, yeah, he's completely right. screwing over Macho Man here. And then what do they do? They get back together as friends. <laughs> well, you always, I mean, you always have that. I mean, because then you got what? Uh, match made in heaven, match made in hell, you know, where they're kind of got back to that alliance even during the wedding and all that after Macho, you know, after everything that's going on here. So, but they feuded again in 1999. Small little feud. Hogan beats him for the title one day after Savage won the WWE championship. But just interesting that that feud basically went on for, God, 85 to 99. Yeah. No, no, as we're talking about Hogan and all that, and we are talking about renewed rivalries. I mean, you talk about at the time and nothing hotter, better than Piper and Hogan in, you know, early WrestleMania era, WWF. But to me, that was just as exciting when those bagpipes hit in WCW and he's yeah. coming out there to, you know, to challenge Hollywood now in a complete role reversal. Because I think the dynamics of how different it was from the first time around. And I think what adds to that too, is we is Jargo keeps saying you never saw this buddy up thing. There was never any show of respect between those two. You also never saw a finish to the feud originally, right? Because I mean, you, you were getting all the count out finishes, we're getting the disqualification finishes. You never really felt like clearly this person has won this feud, and that's why the feud itself just keeps on going and going and going. Whereas with Macho and Hogan, it's like, okay, you have this feud, it begins, it ends, and then you have the next feud between the two of them, which continues the rivalry between the two of them. I love the WCW feud too, because like you said, the role reversal was awesome, but the promos were awesome. Mm -hmm. It was like much more wide open, a lot more shoot comments and stuff. I mean, that was just so awesome to me. And I love kind of, you can go back to the well and like, oh, it's nostalgia, but it works. It made them so much money. I, I love going back to the well. Warrior, on the other hand, did not really care. I mean, for a second, it was cool, but going back to that well and having that horrible match at Havoc, no. But I actually like Starcade 96. I like the match of the century between Hogan and Piper. I know Meltzer doesn't like it, which is fine, but watch that match. The crowd is nuts. They're trying really hard. That, that's a good one. Maybe Super Bowl and Havoc aren't that good. Yes, maybe, but um, Star K96 is good. Do you put Warrior and Hogan on this list? Because I do not. I In no, no way, shape, or no. form did I ever feel like that was a feud. That was just, no. you know, champion versus champion and the position both guys found themselves in. I never really felt like there was feud, anything you- personal there. And then WCW feud, you can't put it on there. It was, it was terrible. <laughs> well, the well, I think yeah. the problem there is we all knew what was going on. Got to get my win back, brother. Well, a few comparisons here. I mean, yeah, it was. I mean, such a magnificent storyline. 
champion versus champion you know, for the WWE universe or WWF universe at that time. They had never seen anything like that. And, and you got these two guys that just pretty much embody every, you know, thing in Vince's vision of what that company should be. People were behind that. You were split. You split your, your young audience there. And you had Paz up there, the Hawk, the Hawkamaniacs. You had me, the Little Warriors. Jargo somewhere in between doing something, whatever the hell. But I mean, but you got people engaged in this. You got people that are overly invested in everything. But I think you really look, you get that big moment that payoff is what they hope to have been the passing of the torch. But our ultimate payoff there is more you go into WrestleMania in the grand moment, the views at WrestleMania six, but it's at seven because now we got Warriors spinning off in the match. You got Hogan going to defend America uh, against Iraq and Sergeant Slaughter. Now, that was now, a better feud than Hogan and Warrior. Yeah. Now, when, yes. now when we yeah. go years later and revisit this thing in WCW, where the Piper thing worked, Jargo, you nailed this thing. It's because it never really stopped anywhere. You know, you have the payoff. Warrior won the match, and he's the champion. Now they move on. That's fine there. But with and then with Piper and him, and I know Piper's a baby. He probably did speak favorably of Hulk Hogan and matches and that, but I don't ever remember him truly putting them over. We always remained with this perception of who Rowdy Piper was. So with Rowdy there, but with Warrior by that time, we had started to see all these things in the self-destruction of the Ultimate Warrior. We'd seen the, the poor attitude. We started hearing these things. We'd seen the transformation started to get more exposed for the in-ring work, uh, the lack of persona inside WWF, the bailing just disappearing at times. And then when he reemerges here at WCW, you're right, Paz. It's like, oh, my God, it's a warrior. And it's like, I ain't no fucking warrior. <laughs> Who's this guy? I mean, that could have been the one time in my life you convinced me that there was another ultimate warrior because it was so <laughs> much of a drastic change. I did like Warrior versus Savage as a few, though. I did put that on my list. I did love that. That was great. Yeah, that, that was great. I mean, that, that felt personal there. Yep. Yeah, they, it, it felt like there was a real reason other than the payday and the championship at the end of the program that the two guys were trying to prove, whereas Hogan versus Warrior was just, who's going to be the face of the company? Who's going to be the champion coming out of WrestleMania six? Hey, and, I, and I do want to, you know, the, the spice that makes it extra nice there again, uh, Sensational Sherry, the queen. She added so much to that program. Absolutely. So, I mean, there's so many big feuds that we haven't even touched on yet. And maybe the biggest of all time, Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant. Where does that one sit? I've got that one up there, Paz, but I think it's part of a much larger feud, actually. Oh, no. Don't go um, there. Which is where <laughs> I, I go, to me, the greatest feud of all time, unquestionably, Bobby Heenan versus Hulk Hogan. Um, and Andre just kind of was a chapter inside of that incredible story. We talk about, you know, you, you have these rivalries and, and the feuds that go on for 10, 15 years, even when they fell on the same side of the ledger, Bobby Heenan hated freaking Hulk Hogan. And I think that is what made it so good. It was so powerful. And again, without Heenan being an in-ring competitor, you never got that definitive end to it which is ma what makes it so damn good to me. Rick, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, completely. Or disagree. Completely, completely, completely agree. Yeah. I think, you know, it's just you got Andre as that, that masterpiece puzzle, uh, but really the, the architect, the puppeteer that's driving this entire thing, controlling it is, is the, how masterful Heenan was. And ultimately, 
in a way where McMahon could feed people through, you had Heenan in that way where it got so many people involved, they would have, you know, that would go to try to take down Hulkamania. What about another huge feud we didn't mention yet? Stone Cold Steve Austin versus The Rock. It's kind of funny that when we talk about like the greatest feuds of all time, that we only see Dwayne's name on the list a couple of times, right? Like you have the Austin feud, you have the Triple H feud. Those two are pretty much it for Dwayne, as far as I'm concerned. And I, for me personally, I think I take the Hunter feud over Austin. I take the Hunter feud, not so much of a sense of when they would just square off one-on-one with you know the, their different variations of themselves, but more specifically, DX versus the nation. And for me, this is where you really get into the difference between a feud and a rivalry, because the rivalry, the series that goes on between The Rock and Hunter over the course of the years is regardless of the feud that they're necessarily involved in just that rivalry that underlying story arc between those two that's what really made it so freaking good uh and then back to austin and, and rock I, I i really i know it didn't have the impact as vince in austin but i i enjoyed the hell out of it because i, I thought it was that austin really needed that superstar on his level mm-hmm. this wasn't you know just him you know taking down the machine the corporation you know, living out to every Joe's fantasy. This was someone that was a legit contender to Austin's throne there as the top of the WWE mountain. And those two together, it, then one reason I did hold it back is because blurring those lines, these guys got along perfectly. But they they, they knew, they, they understanding the business, how they would work these things together. I thought at times maybe it just missed a little bit of that intensity of, say, uh, going out there, a Shawn Michaels and a Bret Hart. Oh, where you knew shit, you know, it, it could go through the curtain and it could get even more nasty and more ugly than what we're seeing out there on that camera because they're such professionals. And in many cases, what we've heard from those stories, it absolutely did that. But I've always heard Austin Rock wasn't very friendly. Not that they didn't like each other, but they were very competitive. And in that, and I, th- and I think, yeah, that's where you get more of a competitive, friendly rivalry instead and it of it wasn't like Rock and Triple very, H were very personal. Where right. Rock just flat out just didn't like the guy, and the guy didn't like him, or Shawn Michaels, where the Rock's like, "I'm never working with this guy. I hate this guy's a piece of shit." This was like very competitive. Like, I want to be number one. Well, I am number one. Well, I'm knocking you off the thing. Like, it was very competitive. So it wasn't like lovey dovey between them at all. And, and again, those feuds get very heated like that. And that's where I look for those blurred lines. You know, another great one we're talking about, Brett, sorry, Coach, but like Owen mm-hmm. on camera, tremendous what they did there. But that was more of a brotherly rivalry, the little bro trying to catch up to keep up because, hey, I, I can finally get here. I can finally do this. He had to watch Brett his whole life just because he's, you know, seemingly he's older, gets these opportunities, you know. I see it here with my nephews. You can see the four-year-old trying so hard to be doing everything that the seven-year-old's doing. And in a weird way, it's kind of odd to go back and look at it because when the rivalry with The Rock and Austin starts, they're not even in the same freaking stratosphere. Like Austin really made Rock into that bona fide main event star throughout that feud. And for that reason alone, for Austin helping create the most electrifying man in sports entertainment today – I feel like it gets elevated way up the standings in this conversation. Absolutely. And, and uh, you know, that's to me, you look up, you, we always hear about passing a torch to me. That was like the last time it was done. Right. 
right? And and by comparison, right? We talked about a, a bunch of feuds where the finish killed the feud and you could never really go back to it. This one, the amount of business that they would have coming out of the feud really elevates it up the list. Hey, Steve Austin versus Bret Hart, pretty damn good too. And that was a very good elevation for a little Stone Cold Stevie to become the man. Very much the same kind of story, right? Yep. Where you, you see Vin... he returned the favor. Yeah, he he. Hey, Brett put him over. I'm going to put over Rock. Yeah. Yep. Vince saw something in Austin. Austin catches fire, and he just goes from that middle of the card all the way up to the main event in about oh, I don't know, one feud because Brett the Hitman Hart's on the other side of the ring, and he could get it out of Austin. And once he got it out, it never got put back in. So what about another few during that Attitude Era, Kane and The Undertaker? There is a lot of conversation about who should induct The Undertaker into the WWE Hall of Fame. I, I very much advocate that it shouldn't be one person. They should take the entire night, devote the entire night to The Undertaker, bring in all the big stars, have everybody give speeches yeah. rather than yep. just one person. Yep. But if you are going to limit it to one person, that person has to be Glenn Jacobs. It has to be. There's nobody else on my list. It's Glenn Jacobs because of the, the rivalry that they had, the feuds that they had, and then, of course, you know, the Brothers of Destruction when they finally would come back together and, and then split up again and come back. Like, when you have that brotherly storyline, very much like with, you know, brett and owen it's like oh i hate my brother he's he's a real piece of shit yeah he is a real piece of shit don't you say that about my brother like i can say <laughs> that about my brother but you can't say that about my brother and, and just that dynamic really made that view yeah yeah you know, it's and especially to take those characters like that you know that we would think that would only be you know have such, such a, a short shelf life and then when they come together and compliment each other, so great. Jagger, I, I've been a, a 100% on board. You've been pitching this idea for an Undertaker-only Hall of Fame for years now. Yep. Do it in uh, Dallas. Now, do it in Texas. Well, yeah. and I think, yeah, do it in Texas. Do it bigger. Everything bigger, better down in Texas. And now that you've got WrestleMania for two nights and all that, here's what I think you do, because it's always a Friday night throwaway on SmackDown. Go to Fox. Say, we are going with a live two-hour special that is the Undertaker's induction into the Hall of Fame. It's going to be all Undertaker that night. Uh, bring in other people from, you know, doing cameos that are on other Fox Sports, you know, outlets or platforms. What, you know, come on. Those kids that are in the leagues today, they knew the Undertaker. They liked wrestling at some point, and I damn well guarantee that Undertaker was one of their favorites. You get those tie-ins, and then you bring in multiple people to share their, their memories, their moments, and then it, I think at that very end, that last introduction has got to be uh, Kane or Glenn. I don't know how you want to go about it. Because to me right now, I think we need to put the Undertaker to rest and just let Mark be Mark. You know, let, let the man be the man now so he can actually come out, start living a life without us busting his balls every time he doesn't pretend to be the dead man. You'd have to have Shawn Michaels out there. That was a great feud. And you'd have to have Mick Foley out there. I think he, Foley, he really resurrected Undertaker a bit. Austin, he was, Dwayne, yep. Hunter. Yes. I mean, yep. the whole damn parade them all out there all on out one there. show. Uh, uh, Brother Love. You you know, everybody Bye. have his wife out there. You. You know, anybody had that tie-in. You know, bring, bring the Moody family back in. I love when they did the, uh, the hologram yeah. with, with Bearer. That was make cool. All, yeah. Make all of those ties. Uh, but yeah, it's, I mean, it, that thing has just been able to reinvent itself again because it plays into that 
you know, it's your family. You'll always come back together, even if you kind of stray apart there. And you can do the same thing next year when they're in Los Angeles and you put the rock into the hall of fame and you do that two years in a row. And suddenly you have redefined what the hall of fame actually is. The problem is then you get to year three and what the hell do you do? Well, at that point, now you've got enough on the shelf where you're not scratching, you know, the bottom of the barrel to try to fill out these mandates that you have laid out that you got to hit. Oh, I got to check this box off. I got to get the, get the woman in there. I got to get the, uh, the foreign guy in. I got to get the, the minority, Mm -hmm. you know, then now you're back to where you've got a pool of where you can actually choose from. And I think more so for, for the undertaker, because we always talk about, you know, him, is he one of the greatest big men? Think about when Andre, when he was the only one. So it kind of a little homage, yeah. based tribute, you know, to that there as well. Uh, we, we talked about uh, uh, Moody, Paul Barry, you know, going back to his territory days about where his, where he came up from and uh, free birds in the, in the Von X. Hell yeah. Hell yeah, Rick. Hard to go wrong with those two teams and and all the different combinations that you could get, all the singles matches, the tag matches. And I mean, gee, Christmas world class love that freaking feud. I mean, it it was absolutely incredible. You want to see a crowd pop. Holy God, there's nothing better than when Stranglehold comes on in freaking Dallas. Love it. Well, again, it gets so personal up there. It gets so personal to that audience and the Freebirds now to get at them. I, I, I've got it up there, damn near up there, especially for one of those classic territory day feuds. A lot of things that people are going to overlook. I, I got one Freebird just a little bit better, and it's mainly it comes down to this moment that it just to me is like, wow. Uh, and it is the Freebirds and Junkyard Dog. And <laughs> part of the program where they blind him and he misses the birth of his, of his son and how much it moved the audience that the Freebirds are after cut that promo and the dogs in there blind, you can't see anything. And you have an audience, a, a, you got a, a fan sitting there, jumps the rail, gets in the ring, and he's got a gun. He's going to hold the Freebirds at gunpoint <laughs> for what they did to Junkyard Dog, the JYD, baby. He doesn't get any better than that. Absolute heat. So I know we're kind of uh, I, looking. One uh, more to throw out here before I, since we're up against. This, yeah, uh, up against the clock. A little. What, what do you got, Rick? Throw, throw one because I, I got a bunch. How, I don't. I don't know. How we got to miss this one here. Tag team personified, rock and roll, Midnight Express, baby. Hell, yep, yeah. That, Hell that, yeah. That that was the next one that was on my list too. Um, and I feel like that feud probably would be higher on the list if it had more national exposure. I think that's what mm. really, really hurt that feud. But I mean, you look at that. I mean, they so got that, that thing is running their B shows, suppose it B shows, and you've got Flair and Dusty saying, "Whoa, whoa, 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 we need them on this show because they're they're going to get that main event gate. They don't want to be splitting that up with Jimmy and, and the boys there." You bet. You so bet. I mean, you those those two teams, those group of individuals. I mean, we can go around and around who's the greatest tag teams, but those did those two working together put tag team wrestling on the map in a modern era. Uh, I can't believe we just kind of mentioned it in passing, but Undertaker, Shawn Michaels, I mean, three of the greatest WrestleMania programs that you're ever going to see, because I, I still include uh, the, the Hunter match as part of the feud between Undertaker and Shawn Michaels, with, with Shawn being the referee, and where do his allegiances lie? Um, uh, you know, the moment's just, you know, introducing Kane, where Shawn's involved there, you know, with Hell in a Cell. And- yeah, I mean, just incredible storytelling, especially that that trilogy of matches at wrestlemania on the biggest stage of them all um match made in heaven match made in hell it's great stuff so i got a bunch of other ones so uh hold your horses here and just give me the yay 
or the nay. Just going a little bit ROH because I loved it. Brian Danielson versus Nigel McGuinness. Incredible. Samoa Joe versus CM Punk. Yeah, it'd be on my list, but not necessarily real high. ROH versus CZW. Yes. Awesome. Steve Carino versus Homicide. You put Steve Carino in any program, it immediately gets on my list. There was a lot of good Carino stuff there. Um, Possibly the greatest series of matches of all time, outside of Flair's team, but of course, Kawada versus Misawa. Oh, wow. Here, I thought you were going to say Omega versus Okada. No, not yet. I'll get to them, but not yet. Um, Well, I I do have Omega versus Okada on my list, but that's not my favorite Okada feud. It would not make my list because that, again, to me, is much more a rivalry than it was ever a feud. But what about versus Okada versus Tanahashi? Because a lot more emotion there. A lot more emotion there. Yep. And, And, and And I actually like those matches better than i like the omega matches the the chemistry between the ace and the rainmaker is absolutely unquestionable and then you get this real kind of generational thing going on between inside of the feud and inside of the rivalry who's going to be the top guy or is the new generation going to take over very much like we saw at war games with uh team 2.0 versus black and gold tiger mask versus the dynamite kid yes please Jerry Lawler versus Austin Idol slash Tommy Rich from 87. Might be my favorite Lawler. I, I, no, I love the Andy Kaufman stuff. That's my favorite. I, I, that, that's up there as well. But when it comes to Lawler, I think it, it's almost the case when you were talking about Andre and Hogan. I think Lawler and Jimmy Hart. Yeah. The first family. Yeah. Does Kaufman make the list? Kaufman and Lawler. Sure. Rick, does, that make, does it make your list? Because, I mean, Kaufman, you want to talk about a special attraction. Andy Kaufman was the very definition of a special attraction. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I think absolutely inside of our bubble here, uh, we could go talk about it forever. You know, what it meant in that time, as you mentioned just a little bit ago, Jargo, would have been bigger on a bigger, better, better on a bigger stage. And, and I agree with that. But, you know, when you've got the David Letterman thing, that, I mean, that brought I mean, it's it to hard, it's a hard whole to get, another level. It's hard to get much bigger than that, especially in that time frame. Yep. So, I mean, that just talks about how magnificent it actually was. National exposure for regional promotion. I also have HBK versus Jericho. Chris Benoit versus Kevin Sullivan. I have... Talk about personal. <laughs> yeah, right. that's a little bit of both. Um, I have Macho Man versus DDP, Feud of the Year, nineteen ninety-seven. I also have Mike Awesome versus Masato Tanaka, which I just love that one. Uh, I love Taz versus Bam Bam Bigelow as well. Great stuff. And then uh, Taz and Sabu. Yeah, I was gonna. I was just about ready to point to the ceiling here. I don't like it as much. I know it's a good feud, but I like. I don't know. I just a Bigelow mark. Asbury Park, come on, you got to stay strong. You got to be a New Jersey guy for life here. Uh, and then my favorite feud of all time. Sting versus Vader. Yeah, I mean, and, and and that's another one that I wish it would have had a much larger platform for everybody to see rather than so many people going back and watching it in hindsight because to live through that feud, if you were a little stinger and you saw Vader coming, you knew there was going to be trouble. And at that point, as a little stinger, Vader scared the absolute shit out of me. Vader still scares the shit out of me today. Did yeah, I miss it? Did I miss anything? Um, I think the only one that I have on my list that you did not mention was Edge and Matt Hardy. Oh, 
A little bit of a personal issue there. It's just, just a little one. Oh, anytime, anytime you're doing something on screen and you feel like it could devolve into a shoot at any given moment in time. And it gets a little creepy. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I like those things. They make you feel uncomfortable. I like Yeah, those. yeah. Rick, what, what did I miss? What did, we, what did I miss? Well, my, uh, I guess, when, were we ready for number ones? Because my number one was not mentioned. Ooh. All right. Well, let's get to you. Let's get to it. Who is the best feud, Rick? Kevin oh. Steen versus Jim Cornette, right, Rick? Uh. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, no, it's and it's not. It's not Cornette versus Russo. It's not that either. Uh, we did tiptoe around it, but we didn't get to the exacts of it. And it involves Bret Hart and the Hart Foundation in the world versus America. Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, to me, one. to me, that was really the the hottest program, the hottest story in in all of my fandom of professional wrestling. Outweighed uh, NWO, all those sorts of deals. DX, what was going on there? I mean, to to set up that dynamic where Hart is so beloved, probably more over than he ever was, because of how hated he was here, the Heat in the states, and they have you know you create a rivalry in it. The, uh, between fans, but you're not just choosing between who's your favorite talent inside of that ring. You have got an international incident on your damn hands. That's a good one. That's a good one. Rick, so we got yours. Jargo, what's yours? Well, my favorite would have to be Chris Jericho versus the Luchadors in WCW because I just think that was absolutely fantastic and hilarious. But to me, the correct answer, Bobby the Brain Heenan versus Hulk Hogan. Nice. I'm going to go Hogan as well. And I love this feud. Hogan versus the Macho Man. So epic. So three really good ones there. I feel like the feuds are the best part for me of wrestling. Like, okay, you can have good matches, but I want a little bit of more emotional investment. I want a little bit more juice. Like Okada and Tanahashi. Like, okay, they're having great matches, but there was some juice behind There's emotion. Flair Steamboat, there's some emotions. Like, this guy's a real dick. Oh, this guy's a nice family man. Well, he's kind of corny. Oh, I kind of like this dickhead. You know what I mean? It, it, you got to get some real emotion there. Really cool. Boy, it's um, just like this past Monday on Raw, I'm sitting there. I'm like, why the hell am I watching this cage match? There was no right? reason behind it. <laughs> right? So let's head towards the plugs. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Two Man Power Trip. Check out the website tmptempire.com and Patreon, patreon.com slash tmptempire. Jargo. Social media at not Jargo. Of course, michaeljargo.com. And I will be over on the No DQ review this Thursday night as we talk about everything going on inside of the world of pro wrestling. Join us live on YouTube. Rick, what do you got? I uh, look forward to a big weekend here in the uh, Sipside Tri-State area, doing some work with Battle on the Border Pro Wrestling. They're having their Hall of Fame ceremony, their first Hall of Fame ceremony. Uh, they've got some some great names going in there. Rob Conway, uh, late great brother of owner Denim Blevins. Brandon Blevins is going to be going in. And uh, one of the Fantastics, Bobby Fulton, oh, uh, who has all played man. great roles in helping develop that promotion here over the last, uh, you know, over five plus years that they've been running. Uh, also, Shane Douglas going to be there. So we got, and we got Badman Fulton coming in. Shane Douglas will be there. The first match in seven years for Big Vito. He's coming into town. Wow, so it's be kind of cool to get to uh, to get to finally meet somebody that you know has been working all these platforms. Gonna beat us. up Oprah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beating up. Uh, he's taking on Super Oprah. I think Vito's going to be in for uh, a big surprise when he when he discovers what this Oprah is that he's stepping in is all about. But I, hey, I think Oprah's in for a big surprise when Big Vito doesn't show up, and instead you get Skull Von Crush. Oh, 
Uh, it, it's Oprah? Super Oprah. I'll have to turn you on to this one, my friend. Uh, it, it's a hell of it's a hell of a gimmick. We'll say that. We'll say that. But yeah, looking for the battle on the border. Uh, again, check out everything at the Hameen Media Group. Make sure you follow us on across social media at the Hameen Media Group. Check out everything the, the live shows on YouTube, the video content that has to be that, that is there. Everything for the two man power trip, YouTube, Patreon, all out there. Or just keep up with me personally across all social media at the Real RBV. Thank you, Rick. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, everybody out there for listening. We'll see you right back here next week for a little bit of Who Is. See you next week, folks. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the two-man power trip of wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at two-man power trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash tmptempire to become a patron. And also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two-man power trip where the power lies brother.